This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 560 for May 24th, 2017. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, your regular host and a senior contributor at Macworld. Joining me this week is Roman Loyola, an editor at Macworld. And uh, Roman, uh, can you introduce and explain your new position? What's going on? Hi. So uh, for those of you unfamiliar, I am a senior editor with Macworld. Been with Macworld for a while. Uh, and I am going to be joining Glenn on a regular basis now on the podcast. So if you're expecting uh, Susie Oaks, my uh, the f- executive editor of Macworld, just to let you know, she's no longer with the publication. And we wish her the best of luck. Uh, and she's done a great job on the podcast. And she has some uh, big shoes to fill. And I hope to fill them properly. So. Oh. Thank you very much. And yes, yeah, Susie, uh, it was great podcasting with you for two years and I'll, I'll miss Susie and welcome Roman here into, uh, into our regular, regular discussion. Um, we got a lot of, uh, Roman, you were describing as a potpourri before we started recording this week. There's a lot of, uh, kind of like, uh, there's like a lot of little bits of interesting news as we lead up into a WWDC, which is getting very close, just a couple weeks away, uh, now in Apple's big developer conference down in beautiful San Jose. I said that without laughing. Beautiful San Jose, <laughs> California. Uh, it's an increasingly beautiful city as they build, um, they get rid of the ugly parts and build new, more pretty parts. Um, so that's a, a big event, and it's also uh, – this is, um, I think, the first year in a while that Apple's been uh, – this was kind of a little bit of a deal that they're not going to be in San Francisco this year uh, because uh, San Jose is a lot closer to Cupertino than San Francisco. We don't have to get on the, the, the 101 and uh, deal with all that nonsense. So um, for, for those of you who live in San Francisco like you, you'll be going down that highway. Um, but thousands and thousands and thousands of people will be gathering in San Jose. And there's also a lot of side events um, that other companies and organizations are throwing. So developers will be attending who got uh, tickets in the lottery will be attending the main event. And then uh, there's the Layers Conference. There are um, – I don't know what they're – there's like alternative WWDC that they've changed the name on so they don't get into trademark trouble. And there will be tons of meeting and other people who couldn't get tickets and are going to come because that's where all of their friends, colleagues, people they want to market to are all at. So uh, San Jose will be a a glorious mess in a few weeks and uh, we'll hear more news as uh, things lead up to it. Um, And I think that's why we're getting some news now too. Um, I think leading off this week is something that uh, Susie and I were talking about in previous weeks is uh, you know I'm very interested in – the notion of the Apple Watch in specific, but also wearables as being health indicators. I've got a lot of chronic health conditions. I'm a very healthy person, uh, thank God, because of all the uh, all the the drugs and interventions that exist today. So the idea of having my health monitor seems like a great one, Roman. I'm like I'm okay with wearing something that's reporting on it. But how, were you interested in this news that came out that um, Tim Cook not only we, we knew he was wearing some kind of blood glucose monitor, but that wasn't disclosed before, and now we know that it's actually an Apple design device that he is testing a non-invasive blood glucose monitor. Um, how important do you think this is or how interesting do you think this is? I think it's, it's really interesting. It's, uh, you know, as also a person who's approaching, or maybe I, I'm already there, middle age. <laughs> and, uh, no, no, you're uh, going to yes. live to 200 like me. It's okay. <laughs> and, you know, also in my youth, I was not uh, very attentive about my health, but <laughs> as I get older and I have to do things like squint and uh, I'm supposed to watch what I eat, but I never do and things like that, I'm be- trying to become more conscious of my health. So having a device, I guess, is is a step towards that direction. Although 
I mean, personally, it's a habit that I'm going to have to develop because, like I said, I've never been consciously aware of my own <laughs> particular health. And if you ever saw me, you would say, yeah, 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 <laughs> dude, you need to. I'm in the safe camp, man. <laughs> It's, well, this is the thing that I think is interesting is like uh, uh, the friendly reminder camp. Like I have a, a Fitbit and I actually uh, – one of them broke and I, I, uh, I've had one I think for four years now. And I contacted the company. They said, yeah, it's broken. We'll just send you another one because they really want this loyalty. They just literally sent yeah. me another to keep me in. Then I lost the replacement. I'm like, oh, and I went back to the first one. I was like, well, maybe, maybe I've retrained myself and uh, I don't need one. Went a few weeks and realized, like, no, if I don't get the feedback of steps, I literally move less. I literally get less exercise. This is terrible. So I found my old one, powered it up. And you know what? It's actually working okay. I think the steps or the uh, stair indicator, the um, mm. uh, barometer that's built in may be funky, but I don't care about that. The steps is still accurate. Uh, and so I thought, oh, my God. So a blood glucose monitor, it's not necessarily like, will it change our habits? It's more like – Having continuous monitoring means that we're going to get that little like ping, you know, right. uh, you're pre-diabetic and your blood glucose is spiking. You should really consider what you just ate or think about the combination of machine learning and this where you could use your phone to take a picture of what you ate and it would identify what it was. Maybe the amount of calories or, cons you know, the, all the components of it correlate it with the blood glucose monitor. Um could make it a little easier to figure out where you may be going astray and making choices. Right. So. Yeah, and the way it kind of it kind of scares me too. I just, it's, you know, it's, there's a certain um, what? Do, how do I say it? Like the invasiveness of it, or uh... or no, the comfort of the unknown. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. There's this whole thing about health and what, yeah, you know, what doesn't know won't hurt you kind of thing. That's that's totally the wrong mindset. But there's, you know, there's a lot of comfort in it. If you don't know something, if you there's you don't know that something's wrong with you, you you know. There's, there's some, it, it doesn't affect you mentally. So there's whole that kind of thing. And it's, it's a completely wrong mindset, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a comfort zone. It's, it's something that you need to be pushed out of. Uh, and maybe more things like glu blood glucose monitoring on my Apple watch would help me push, push me in that direction, make me more comfortable with that knowledge with having all that information about myself. Yeah, as long as it's uh, personally, would you trust Apple with it? Because they, they seem to be very siloed towards the individual, That and that seems right. to pair neatly with serious, you know, in, uh, intrusive, invasive monitoring that you permit. You don't want that necessarily to go to, uh, you know, drug companies or whatever. I, I don't want well, to strap one of these things on and get ads for Metformin showing up in Google, let me tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested in how the mechanics of it work. I mean, does it is it simply the sensor on the back of the of the watch is able to like figure out the formulation of your sweat or something like that? I, I, well, it's a separate you know, band that he's wearing, and I I assume that oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. It's a, a is it a link band. to the watch ostensibly, or maybe to an iPhone? But the uh, I remember uh, it was a couple of years ago. It was a heel bee, I think it was that um, it was on Indiegogo. It became this very controversial campaign because the uh, developers were promising stuff that a lot of uh, nutritional and uh, bio, uh, like uh, I don't know what you call biochemical human human biochemistry people, uh, scientists and researchers were saying wasn't feasible at least at the time. Which was you'd have a watch and it would monitor blood glucose level and some other things or like a band. It would be kind of exercise and whatever. And, and in the end, what was interesting, it got totally overhyped in the end, turned out to be a, like a perfectly adequate or okay, uh, 
exercise band, but it, you know, the blood glucose part, I don't think, you know, realistically worked. If it had, it would have been an amazing breakthrough at the time, but a couple of years go by and a company with hundreds of billions of dollars, maybe they can make it work. But my understanding from that discussion, reading like why the uh, researchers were saying it couldn't work is there's like, um, I think it is, uh, you can't like, like with pulse, you're shining the Apple has green lasers and maybe red ones or LEDs in the back of the, uh, Watch. I think they're just using green LEDs, and they can flash them, and they can kind of get a, a reading on. Um, uh, they can sort of perceive the reflection of blood vessels in the skin, right? So it's this cool thing. And oh, wow. glucose, like they're you know you're not if you're looking at um, blood sugar is not something you can shine a light on. So there must be some kind of emanation. I forget if it's sweat or if it can detect. Um, I don't know if it, it has to be able to read a chemical signature or something. So. Uh, I'm I'm really curious how well it'll work, but even if it were, I mean, the question will be like, there'll be some degree of accuracy, right? And it, and it has right. to be something where like the pinprick method is the the gold standard, and um, that's whatever degree of accuracy correct. So this has to be within the measure of that. But so if it's maybe if it's within you know, 10% of a pinprick, people would be like, oh, for most people, it would be okay. Like people who don't actually have diabetes uh, are fully diagnosed with it. Maybe this will be something that people with uh, in pre this status that's um, my doctor told me is kind of an evolving or actually two different, (laughs) I changed GPs. So both GPs told me kind of an evolving thing where they're trying to catch people before they're in full-blown diabetes and uh, full-blown diabetic. And uh, the pre-diabetic stage is one in which monitoring diet and so forth can have a huge impact and you can maybe come back from the edge. So, uh, so they do drug intervention and whatever, but like the idea of here's your, you know, metformin, here's your um, new dietary plan and uh, track that while uh, you know, the watch is doing it. You're not doing the pinprick thing, which is again, it's like, I think that's a threshold. Like I don't want to, if I have to do it someday, I will. I don't want to prick myself all the time. Like this is the whole, um, the, the whole model behind Theranos, that thing that's essentially fallen apart. The, uh, uh, the blood, uh, test company that, um, Elizabeth, um, what's your face? <laughs> you've, you follow that story. It's a, it's a Bay area story. The, um, uh, uh, a bl- uh, blood test with a micro vial. So you only need like a pinprick instead of doing a full blood draw to get, right, right. right. And that's turned out to be, they, you know, allegedly overstated the results and the whole thing has fallen apart. Right. Um, but so I think a lot of people, if you said like, you, you need to monitor your pre-diabetic stage or even like a pre-pre-diabetic one, but you don't have to carry around these tests. You don't have to prick your skin. All you have to do is wear this device. And yeah, it's, you know, within 10, it's plus or minus 10%, but plus or minus 10% is close enough to, understand the general outlines of the state you're in. And only if you got further along the path towards diet, you know, full, full diabetic diagnosis, then you'd have to do it. It could help with intervention is the thing. Right. Right. It may not be necessarily something that a diabetic who needs like pinpoint accuracy of their numbers, but you know, pre-diabetes is a huge thing in the United States. You know, it can go, it can be a very big uh, tool to help, treat that condition yeah. yeah it's uh and i also think um this is what we just saw with that heart uh disease the uh uh, uh what's it called afibrial no um uh afib i'm like the arterial uh <laughs> i can't remember what afib stands for the um it was just a study last week that came out that um uh art yeah atrial fibrillation what a word to say atrial fibrillation um where they you saw that the uh, apple uh, watch was used in a study and they found that they had 97 percent um uh accuracy in 
predicting the same results or, or finding the same results as the full-on test that right. could be done. And um, the and the people running the study were overwhelmed by this because they never expected that association. And I'm thinking um, part of this is let's say they can get maybe insurance companies might cover it, other people might cover it, who knows, or um, wellness programs at companies gathering information from hundreds of thousands of people correlating at a level there's no such information gathering about um, diabetes and blood sugar or blood glucose levels today being able to take all that information again feed it into machine learning and do research and then try try outcomes it might be entirely new interventions or new insights about um, what is causing us to have such a high incidence of diabetes in America um, all these things are great so anyway little little starts but uh, could have huge impact in a very positive way Technology doing something good, <laughs> oh, but of course, another you know thing we're talking about. There's the danger of you know if an insurance company says, "Yeah, well, uh, uh, my insurer gives me certain medications for free under my pharma- pharmacy plan, even though all the other medications are supposedly um, covered under uh, have to hit the deductible first. And um, it's kind of like, well, why are some meds free and some others are like, well, we're not going to tell you. I'm like, all right. So yeah, I don't know what that is about, but I'll take it. Um, and I'm thinking like, what if you're, this is like your, uh, have you got those offers from uh, your insurance company for your car where they're like, Hey, for a very low fee, we can give you a hands-free calling kit with like a, a camera, car camera on it and all that, but we'll be monitoring the results. Like, no, thank you. I don't think I want that. But they're like, we'll lower your rates, but we get to see all the videos. Like, right. nope, no. Have a blood glucose monitor and we get all the data. Um, I don't know. Uh, on a less invasive front, less blood involved. Um, Roman, I hear there might be new laptops coming. What's going on with that? So there was a report, Bloomberg reported that... Um, Apple could be introducing some hardware in sort of a response to the success that Microsoft has had with its uh, the Surface uh, products. Um, so we could see. I think they they seem to be mostly um, performance bumps to the MacBook Pro and the MacBook, and surprisingly, a, perf- a performance bump to the MacBook Air, which. I think people kind of thought was left for dead because they discontinued the 11-incher and the 13-inch model was left as sort of the uh, affordable laptop, the entry-level laptop, because it's, it's – uh, is it $899? I forget. It's, I think it's it, sub-1,000 sub, – yes. sub-a-grand, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, so, yeah. So, in addition to whatever OS upgrades they introduce at WWDC, we could see some new hardware in the form of laptops and pro- hopefully a KB Lake based uh, MacBook Pro. You know, the, the PC side has had these KB Lake based products for a while now, and Apple's been kind of lagging on that front. And um, yeah, there you know, was some issue a- about wasn't Apple waiting for a particular. I had some issue about like um, uh, there's some memory issue, like some if they wanted to use a certain kind of uh, st- memory, they need a later KB Lake because of a controller issue. Or there was something that I think they were waiting for and the pipe uh, Intel's uh, roadmap had it coming earlier. And that seemed to explain maybe some of the delays in the MacBook Pro, but I don't know. Right. And didn't uh, Phil Schiller, Apple's uh, VP, didn't he kind of say something like that on Twitter in response to somebody? Yes, that's about, it. Uh, 
the amount of RAM in the MacBook Pro. That's right. People wanted to get 32 gigabytes, and he said basically they couldn't with the current generation without uh, – I think they had a, uh, there was something that have to walk backwards on as a worse feature or the memory would be slower or more expensive or some kind of trade off that the next KB Lake generation was not going to, or or iteration wasn't going to have. But I think that was the thing is people were disappointed with, you know, 16 gigabytes is not enough memory for, uh, for high end professionals anymore. And not, so this ostensibly would take the lid off that. So. Look out for laptops and, you know, I'm a hardware guy, so I'm kind of, I'm always excited when uh, Apple puts out new hardware and that, you know, it's been a long time since I've got been, been excited for, you know, or there was a long period of time when I couldn't get excited about any new Apple hardware and, you know, Apple has updated the MacBook Pro recently. Uh, yeah, with a lot of, so, I mean, a lot of provisos on there. I keep hearing people who are unhappy with the touch bar. Um, I know some people who really like it, and but I hear a lot. I mean, people who don't like something are usually noisier. But uh, I know some folks who actually have taped over it so they don't actually trigger it. <laughs> One person, it's also you don't realize where you rest your hands on your computer until you have a touch-sensitive thing. And one person I know, apparently they rest their hands in such a way, or they did in the past, that they're constantly hitting that escape. You know, So there's the whole thing about there's no escape yeah. key on the touch bar. Well, there is an escape key in most views. And he keeps resting his finger and hitting escape at inappropriate moments. And he's like, ah, oh, so and you can't fully disable it. So he is, I think he's the one who literally put tape over it, feeling pretty crummy about that, but as the only way that makes it, you know, more mm. workable for him. Um, this story uh, at Bloomberg Technologies, Mark Ehrman used to be at uh, 95 Mac and uh, Alex Webb. Um, Mark is a known, uh, good sourced Apple person. And uh, I was surprised by this that there's apparently talk, he's reporting or they're reporting there's talk that Apple might revise the MacBook Air. And it's still, it, I'm flummoxed by it because we felt like it was at an end, right? The MacBook was the replacement. It's, right. it's screening. Like I had a MacBook Air, I had a 13 inch MacBook Air and a 12 inch MacBook. And first, the 12-inch MacBook fit inside the 13-inch – oh, no, is that right? I'm trying to think. I think the entire thing, because there's less bezel and um, the keyboard, everything was smaller. I think I could stick it on top of the MacBook Air, which is already small, and the it fit kind of neatly inside. So the screen area wasn't really that much smaller, um, and it was Retina, right? And the MacBook Air was never Retina. So it seemed like – there's a mention in the article, well, you know, Apple hasn't revised the MacBook Air for seven years – uh, the design, I'm like, and they're not gonna because the MacBook is the uh, successor. However, um, it would be interesting if it's selling so well in that sub thousand dollar position that they revved the processor. It's not a terrible idea, but it's kind of funny. I thought it was eventually going to be just end of life and the 12 inch MacBook would drop into that sub thousand dollar position. Right. I, I thought the same thing. I'm, I was kind of surprised. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, I was talking to somebody here on staff about. Uh, the MacBooks and stuff, and we were kind of like, yeah, but the Air has got that standard deaf screen. I know. So. I just don't. I yeah. I I you know. It's. It took a long time. I tried to actually stay away from Retina because I knew once I had. Uh, you know, a 10 or a, a 4K monitor or Retina screen, I would never go back. And it's exactly what happened. Is I just my eyes yeah. did it, and I eventually got a 4K screen on my computer and then I'm using the MacBook Air and it's like, oh, this is terrible. So now I have retina everywhere, can never go back. But um but for younger people with better eyes, uh who haven't been exposed to the exactly. to the, <laughs> to the higher resolution. Exactly. I did that with the iPad as well. For a long time I was like, I don't want to see a retina iPad. Don't show it to me. And then <laughs> 
then I get a, you know, then you get a Retina iPhone and everything suddenly looks like it looks like you're playing Minecraft on your phone. Like these blocks are huge. How did I ever have you gone back <laughs> and held a smaller, older iPhone now? And you're like, how did I ever read this? How did this work? How did I get my big fingers to touch small points on? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, because I have a uh, 6S Plus right now, and mm-hmm. my my son's phone. I, uh, yesterday, I was like, "Oh man, I, I I suddenly scratched my." I noticed I had a scratch on my screen. Oh no! Yesterday, and I was like, "How did that happen?" And it was like, "Well, I've gone two years with this phone, and I finally have a scratch. That's pretty." My son, my son just laughs at me, and he shows me his phone. And it's, you know, it has a shattered screen. There's like pieces of like near the uh, top speaker that are broken off. And I was just kind of like, and and the thing was, he has like a, I think I gate, I think he's using my old 4S or something like that. So it's really small. Oh, yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, yeah. (laughs) And then I was like, wait a minute, you want me to get you a new phone and Look at look at how you treated this current phone. I, I'm not sure I'm going to do that. That's a different thing. Get though. a screen protector for the, uh, the next one. It's um, yeah. I had a terrible nightmare last night. I had a nightmare that I was trying to. Uh, I was on vacation. I was trying to uh, get to an airport or train station. I'd lost my phone suddenly and could not figure out where it was and and couldn't figure out if it was stolen. And this nightmare went on for a long time. I woke up and thought, <laughs> what a ridiculous, what a ridiculous nightmare. Just always get another phone. Just you know, use remote. Find my iPhone. Uh, Brick, brick the phone and move on. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so the laptops. I'm, I think the oh, the other thing is we might get uh, revised twelve uh, inch uh, MacBooks, which would be good because I the 2015 one. I own that. I like it very much. 2016 one was kind of a modest improvement. Uh, I think Apple could really bring. We're sort of expecting in March or April. We sort of expected a revision because that's when they introduced the two previous models. Uh, so maybe at WW, uh, WWDC they'll bring that back online and. Uh, show us something a little more advanced. You know, one port was not revolutionary. It was irritating. And then you introduce a, f- <laughs> a four-port, uh, you know, Roman, I've written a lot of USB-C reviews for you. So, you know, yes. like, it's like one port, it's fine. I've I actually not really has not been an issue for me. Occasionally, I'll wind up in a situation where I really could use two ports for a few hours and I just cope with swapping power and other stuff back and forth. Um, but two, you know, two ports. And as I, as I recall, the original MacBook design was limited in part by controllers available at the time as well. So they mm. could not easily put two USB-C uh, connectors on it. Although they could have put, two, there's something about, they could have put two, um, even if it was connected to one controller, there's some issue because the MacBook Pro has effectively two controllers or two, you know, it's it's got two independent sets of USB-C right. so that you can drive stuff, you know, um, two kinds of things at the same time. Uh, so maybe we'll see that, that improvement in the MacBook. They bring it up a little bit, like two USB-C, one on either side would make it a much more powerful uh, system and maybe it'll gain access to better monitor support and so forth too. I, I wonder if they'll bring Thunderbolt 3 to it. I think they might still keep that as a differentiating feature. Uh, but it would reduce confusion if everything did Thunderbolt 3 through a USB-C port, truthfully. Um, more from Apple. So this stuff is uh, the more public things. Um, Apple launched two different campaigns this week. Uh, one we knew about. We'll talk about in a moment the Today at Apple program. But the other was, uh, Roman, they're targeting Android users with a new switcher campaign. And um feels kind of like an interesting point in the history of both platforms to kind of go aggressively after Android users again. Do you have any thoughts about why Apple would pick this moment in time to to be targeting? Are they are they going after Samsung weakness after all the uh, the fire issues? 
it, it's kind of curious. It reminds me of the whole uh, switch thing when back when you know I'm a, I'm a Mac and I'm a PC those yeah. days, and and when Apple ended that. The, the the company kind of gave this sense of like we're past that now. You know, we don't need to do that anymore. We have our market, we have our audience, you know, and people who want to switch they'll come over naturally. We don't need to be proactive about it. And so it's kind of curious that they're going to a switcher campaign with Android again. I, you know, since I don't follow the Android market closely in terms of like market share and and uh, sways in, the, in that particular market. I don't know if there's like a weakness there, mm-hmm. it's, you know. But yeah, I, I find it very curious. It's 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 an interesting uh, marketing campaign that they're that they're putting up, and you know, it's 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 retro in a way because of the whole switcher thing with the Mac and PC. But at the same time, it it doesn't seem to me it doesn't seem necessary. But I'm not a marketing guy, so. Yeah, it just well, it's also weird to me to do it like in May. Like, what is the? Yeah. There, there's not a new phone coming out. You're attracting people at the what people know or is like nine months into or ten months. No, I guess nine or eight months into the product cycle. It's like, why would you try to convince people to get a new iPhone now when um, they know there's? I mean, anybody sensible looking into it knows they've got a few months before they can get a much better one, conceivably for the same money, but. I don't know. I mean, I think it also seems like a little bit of an education campaign of, did you know we have an app that lets you just, you know, run this and you can transfer all your stuff over uh, to iOS and you don't have to do this painful transition. So isn't that great? That kind of thing. But um, timing is odd. Um, I I mean, the intent makes sense, but just odd to do it now. I would think doing it in October or something would make more sense. But When the new product is coming out. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, buy this old phone. Yeah, it's great old phone because we got nothing's nothing's coming. We're never going to release a new model. And the other thing is that Apple comes out with phones once a year, whereas there's always seems to be a new Android phone because there's, you know, multiple companies that put out Android phones. So, I mean, that's sort of a marketing thing that the Android people can pull is that, you know, you're always that, uh, that iPhone's old already kind of thing that, that, oh, that, so that kind of works against the kind of switcher campaign. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's <laughs> it connected like with Google odd. IO. I mean, that was last week, but it feels weird to connect it with an event and there wasn't a lot of exciting right. things that came out of Google IO. I mean, there were announcements and new yeah. features being discussed for the future, but they're not shipping. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm baffled, but as you say, I'm not a marketing person either. So must make sense. Um, connected with marketing is this new today at Apple program. It's something that um, will be happening at all of the Apple stores, and they're kind of they're doing some remodeling. Um, some of the new stores are being uh, designed specifically to incorporate sort of new idea about the education they're doing. And they kicked it off on Monday with uh, I think it was Monday or was it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Or over the weekend. Over, over the weekend. Past weekend. Yeah, I saw the uh, press releases out uh, on Monday um, th- with events, including you know. Uh, of famous musicians performing at stores all over the world. And um, the idea I think is to make it, I, I mean, they, they've been doing classes since uh, practically when the stores open, they've had in-store events and things. And I, this seems like it a way to unify that more and have a better sense for people. There's always something interesting happening at the Apple store as opposed to come in and take a class. It's like, it's like, this is a place you can go and, and um, you know, attend something or, uh, make it a, a third place sort of thing. If they added espresso machines, that would be the the perfect thing. But 
so far no complimentary beverages you can you can hold over their expensive computers um so yeah that, that launched and i it's it makes a lot more sense to me although I, again i'm curious what they it sounds like they're trying to increase traffic to the stores but as we know the stores are already really busy so um yeah it just seems to me like a way to extend their brand you know yeah. beyond beyond their products it's you know it's making it more about people but yeah it's still it seems like a weird kind of like i said i, I don't know anything about marketing if, if if getting more people in translates into selling more products i guess so uh, well, I, I guess in so. general but it's like the stores are already so i mean whenever i go to the um there's a uh, several stores in the seattle area and there's one about a mile and a half from me mile from me and whenever i go in there it's just always mobbed i mean it's just packed with yeah. people at random yeah. times you know any time day or night um trying to think how late i've been in there and there's still been tons of people in there because it's so it's like are you know, they're not suffering from people being there but maybe they're finding uh that people didn't know they offered as much education but it's good because i think almost everything they do is free there are some plans they have for um certain kinds of uh, uh, uh direct help availability that cost extra but the um at least i think they're still offering those that's funny you know i, I should know that they used to have that uh that extra plan and I don't know if they still do. Um, yeah. Do you know that uh, it wasn't like Apple Care? It wasn't Apple Care or Apple Care Plus. It was a um, program that you could do in the stores that allowed you to uh, go in and get a lot more um, direct help. But in fact, I don't think they're offering yeah. it anymore. Yeah, I don't think they offer that anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's all free. I'm looking at their site. How funny. I, I assume that was one of those things in the background. Um, but no, it's all, everything that I'm seeing here is all free stuff. And there's a lot more interactive things they're talking about. Um, uh, like here's something, you know, at the local store studio hours, photo projects, which is a lot more broad than the things that I'm aware of. They offered in the past. So it's 90 minute session, bring your device, your project to work in. We'll help you get started. We'll share tips on camera, whatever. So it's, it's interesting. It's like, uh, I mean, I think Apple could actually, do quite a bit by offering um uh back in uh, the early 90s i worked at a kodak facility called the center for creative imaging it was on the coast of maine and we were teaching cutting edge digital techniques in the early 90s so we were teaching people a lot of transition folks who had were analog people moving into a digital world for uh shooting i mean we had the uh, very first uh, kodak digital camera like literally serial number one of their first commercial digital camera um which had like a huge power pack and <laughs> a drive and this huge over the arm thing but it was a regular point uh, uh ds uh, uh slr uh retrofitted with um a sensor and uh so we did kind of like a genius bar apple course kind of thing as every day just courses three day five day courses and i thought no one's ever entirely replicated that there are teaching facilities but i thought apple could uh you know continue to instill and expand a like loyalty and, and which leads to equipment purchases um, by offering more you know intensive or longer courses and maybe this is part of that direction some of these more open and freeform things are doing i don't know good though i appreciate that you can send people like how do i do this thing it's like oh well to go to the apple store and they'll teach you how to do it <laughs> don't ask me yeah, go to the store. it's a lot of family tech support um well we had a few uh security stories that we go through uh, as well because um uh concerned people this last week um these are different the week last week we had security stories which were like everything is broken and here's why um this is more uh i would say like uh uh just sort of stock keeping, like or uh, keeping track of what's going on. Um, so uh, people started getting an email, and I, I did not receive this. I think I may have two-factor authentication turned on on both my uh, Apple IDs, 
But if you don't have two-factor authentication turned on uh, and you are using a third-party app with iCloud for calendar, contacts, or email, uh, and that could be anything. That could be uh, Thunderbird for email. It could be Fantastical or BusyCal or BusyContacts for contacts or other software uh, or even some Google products that let you uh, connect. Um, my email provider, FastMail, lets me connect uh, other POP and IMAP accounts into my web mail so I can actually retrieve mail there if I wanted to and bring it into one mailbox uh, from another account. So all these things, um, if you're doing any of that as of January or June 15th, Apple will require that you turn on two factor authentication on your account. And um, I have written stories and other folks at Macworld have written stories to help you transition. If you're currently using uh, just a password for iCloud, which is unfortunately a terrible idea because of, um, security is not your fault. It's the rest of the world's fault. Uh, so, uh, or you might be using two-step verification, which is Apple's older system. And I'm unclear if they're going to disable that, uh, because it's sort, it's similar. Um, I know they want to phase it out because it's less secure and it's, uh, doesn't work in it as well in integrated fashion with all the new versions of Mac uh, OS and iOS. The two-step authentic or two-factor authentication is Apple's newer system introduced a couple of system releases ago, and it works beautifully across all your devices. So if you try to log in in one place, you get a notification on all of the devices linked to the same Apple ID, and you can take action at any of those instead of having to do stuff at one device or, or use um, strange pop-ups in iOS to deal with verification or get text messages and so forth. Um, so, uh, the issue is that these third party services, uh, currently you're, if you're not using, um, two factor, if you're just using a password to protect your iCloud, uh, account and Apple ID, you're giving your account password to these third party services. And that is always a bad idea, but it's been something we've done in the past with two factor authentication. Apple lets you generate, uh, what are called app specific passwords. So each third-party app you use, you can create through your Apple, through at appleid.apple.com. It's the only place to create them, Roman. It's kind of a pain. You, <laughs> you can't do it from iOS, can't do it from macOS. You have to log into a website uh, and then go through this process and you create app-specific app passwords. Uh, they're generated once, you copy them, and then they're never available again. You can never see them again, but they're sort of disposable too. You can always generate another one. So uh, every once in a while, if something goes on, I have to... Um, uh, change account parameters or something. I may have to reset these, but uh, generally you set them once and you use them forever. And the, and so I go into Fantastical, let's say, and I um, connect to uh, iCloud and I enter my regular account name, you know, email address, and then I enter this app specific password. But here's the thing. This is a better security than using your own iCloud password everywhere because these app specific passwords can only be used for email contacts and calendar although that's a pretty broad category of stuff, but someone can't log into your iCloud.com account and do things or sync it with a Mac or iOS device. Um, but uh, folks have criticism of this because it's still, uh, it's not linked to a specific piece of software. You can use those app-specific passwords as often as you want anywhere for all three categories of things. Uh, so I talked to John Chafee, he was uh, telling me about this before Apple's announcement because he's uh, the behind... Um, the company BusyMac that makes BusyCal and BusyContacts. And uh, he does not like uh, app-specific passwords because of the security issues and also how complicated it is for users to generate and manage them. So he would prefer that Apple used OAuth, which is what Google and Twitter and a bunch of other companies use, where 
when you're using that third-party software, it brings up essentially a dialogue that comes from the company you're logging in with. So, um, Roman, whenever you've logged in with Twitter someplace else, you know, you get that pop-up and it's like, uh, or it redirects you and it says, you know, here, enter your Twitter credentials. And if you have two-factor authentication for Twitter, you enter that. And then it redirects you back and says, great. And Twitter has assigned a token to that service, but it's specific and can only used by that company and only often with a particular service and setup. So they can't use it. That company can't even use it generically. It might not even work on another machine, depending on how it's been set up. Uh, it's locked to a specific computer sometimes or a specific instance of software. Um, so anyway, I wrote a story about that. And if you're interested in the details, folks, you can read that. Um, but uh, I recommend doing two setting up two-factor authentication just because it reduces the surface attack. Uh, if you're just protected by a password, someone gets your password or guesses it or something, they can log into your account from anywhere in the world. S with two-factor authentication, they have to not only get your password, but they also have to be able to intercept somehow the token being sent to you that lets you prove that you have a physical device or physical access to something uh, connected with your account. And that makes it much less likely someone can break in unless there's like a massive security problem at Apple, in which case all bets are off anyway. <laughs> That's my that's my uh, negative assessment of that last part, but uh, it's true. <laughs> Roman, are you using two factor authentication? I try to use it as as much as possible. I have to admit, there are certain times when, if it's something I don't use very often, I I don't use it because it for some reason or another I think I'm no I don't use this so much, and it's, I find it more annoying than using it on something that I use all the time. It, it, it's illogical thinking, I know, but yeah, <laughs> no, I try to I, use it as much as possible. So the the tricky thing is when I don't have my iPhone with me and I have to, uh, you know, get a code from somewhere and I'm like, oh crap, where's my phone? And, wait, wait, wait. You don't have, <laughs> there are times when you don't have your iPhone with you? I don't understand this. <laughs> it's usually like I'm sitting on the couch and then my phone's charging at my office. And, oh, at home. Shoot. Okay. And I have to get up, get my lazy butt up. And walk. And walk a good, I don't know, 20 feet and look at my phone. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'm relieved now because that's uh, – <laughs> my, my thing is I want to make sure that all avenues of exploitation are locked down. And, you know, I'm not a security researcher, so I'm, and I'm not like a target. I write about security and encryption, but nobody's going after me um, particularly. But I still think just any journalist in this age is probably a higher target. And, where, you know, my name is linked all over the place. People may think they could – I don't know. Some scammer might be like, oh, if I could break into Glenn Fleischman's account, I could post fake ads on Macworld or something. You know, who knows? So I'm a little bit more careful. Every time any service that offers a two-factor authentication, I, I immediately turn it on. Um, and I use Authy, A-U-T-H-Y, which iOS uh, Siri refuses to recognize the name no matter how many times I correct it. It'll say like, there's no app called Off E. I'm like, no, I just corrected it. If I did this did drag down, and I typed in Authy, you know what I said. And Siri will never learn it. But um, Authy is a, a secure uh, second factor syncing and management program. You can set a separate password for it. So it's it reduces your security at some level, making second factors more uh, easily available. But a lot of the second factor software, including Google's, has effectively no protection. So Authy is a bit better. Um, but it means in a pinch, I can use the factor from my computer too. I can generate the code. I don't have to have my phone if I'm, I don't have the phone available. In those brief moments, I don't have my phone available. Um, but yeah, I think it's the thing is, uh, email is one of the worst ones though, is, is if somebody were to get your, uh, iCloud email and iCloud, your iCloud address is where you have either your main, 
uh, account address for another service like Google or whatever, or a backup address that can also be used to send a password reset, then your least, your weakest point is a email account not protected by a second factor because people will use that if they can exploit it to uh, send a password reset there, break into your email, and then reset your accounts elsewhere. Sometimes that can even work if you have second factor there because they can they can go through a couple extra hoops um, because they can get that email address or that email that's sent to the address. So just remember to you know turn on two factor when you can and uh, keep you safer. And uh, and that's about it for this week. Uh, Roman, thanks for joining me, and we'll talk again in the very near future. Thanks, Glenn. It's great to have you. And uh, this was, uh, folks, episode 560 of the Macworld Podcast, May 24th, 2017, uh, not 16, 17. I'm living in the future. You can find us at Macworld.com, Facebook.com slash Macworld, on Twitter at Macworld. And uh, send us uh, questions, emails, whatever, at podcast at Macworld.com. And we'll talk to you again next week.